COVID has currently killed over 231,000 people in the United States and 1.2 million people worldwide. That is a large number of deaths. Why would God allow this virus to kill people? Is there even a God who cares? We can always question God and His wisdom, especially when great tragedy occurs, such as a pandemic or natural disaster, or even personal tragedies like cancer or heart failure that leads to death. Death is tragic, and we have to wonder why God allows it. Why does God allow almost 900,000 babies to die every year? There must be some great good in death that we are missing, and what is it? Hello, everyone. Today's episode is about death. There are so many questions, fears, and hopes about death. Why is there death? What is the meaning of death? What is it to die? How many of us block out the idea of death until tragedy occurs or death in a family member? Yet even when we block it out, we flaunt with death by watching war movies or horror movies or even dramas like CSI, NCIS, or other shows that talk about autopsies. We have plenty of memorials to understand people have died before us, and yet do we think about our own death, which is inevitable. The moment we are born, the clock starts ticking on death. Not theoretical, but practical. Real-life practical advice from Practical Catholic. Welcome to another episode of Practical Catholic with David Cease. Practical Catholic is a spiritual coaching show to help you find peace, love, and joy in family and work life. We are here each and every week to help you grow spiritually, to become successful in this life, and to be a saint for the life after. My story begins when I was stationed in California back in 1995. I was assigned to the A-team for the Marines. Uh, The A-team stands for Advanced Team. And what they do is they basically are the uh, tip of the spear to get to the... um, a hot zone as quickly as possible to prepare for the main group to 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 advance. So uh, it was um, a job that they just gave to me as a second lieutenant. They they said to me, you know, hey, you're going to be uh, leader of the A team, and I said, okay. So uh, they assigned about 15 Marines to me, and so whenever there was a um, you know an emergency or a hot zone going on, they would get us ready. So because we were stationed um, with the first uh, Marine Expeditionary Force, one MEF, our AO was the Persian Gulf. And this was right after the uh, first Persian Gulf War back in 1990s. And so a lot of times Saddam Hussein was still in power in Iraq, would start rattling his uh, sword, uh, as we would call it, and causing America, of course, to rattle their sword. And part of that was our unit would constantly be, you know, um, on red alert pretty much um, and getting prepared. And then they would stand us down. And this was a cycle of ups and downs and ups and downs. So I got to the point where it really got old hat until one um, one time they actually, um, you know, the, the CO came down and said, no, we're ready to go. Um, this is this is really hot. To the point where they actually suppressed all of the normal communications. We couldn't use the normal phones. We had to use secure lines, and so we were compu- you know communicating through the secure lines. And uh, the colonel made a decision and said, you know, Lieutenant Cease, you know, activate the A team. So I was like, okay. Um, so we had to prepare, and he says, you have about four days, um, and uh, I think it was maybe four days or three days or something like that. And he says, get your Marines ready because you're going to be sent off to the Persian Gulf. So um, I had to get uh, my 15 Marines and myself ready to to get you know to be sent to a possible conflict out in the Persian Gulf War, and I remember three things that kind of resonated with me um, during this period. The first was um, we had to go. I had to take the Marines and myself to legal and create a will. You know, I'm mean, here. I am about 25 years old with my wife, and we had to quickly. Uh, uh, get a will. You know, you, you don't really think about that. You don't think about getting a will. And uh, my wife was like, really? And so we did. We got a will. It, fortunately, it was very quick. It's a generic will. We we have this will to this day. Um, so that really impacted me. You know, that kind of said, well, I might die. The second thing that impacted me was we had to go to the medical. And so I brought my Marines there to get their shots. But one of the things that they also did was they draw they uh, drew some blood from me, and they kept it in an aluminum pouch, and they gave me that pouch and said, "Sir, 
you know, um, keep this in your service record book. And um, I asked the doc, a doc means Navy corpsman, it's a kind of a, a nickname for a Navy corpsman. I said, doc, what is this for? And he replied, sir, in case your body is FUBAR, we have to identify your body and we can do that through DNA. FUBAR is an acronym. Um, I'm not going to say what the F stands for, for but it just means um, um, F'd up beyond any recognition. So in other words, my body is so blown up, they couldn't even recognize me and they would use that DNA. And that was another heart sinking thing to realize that I could be blown up in the smithereens, right? So, you know, the last thing was um, when we were waiting in the tarmac. Uh, so basically I had my 15 Marines and I were in our gear ready to, you know, ready to be picked up by a C-130 um, and uh, possibly go into the Persian Gulf War. So, or Persian Gulf um, for a possible conflict. And so as we're waiting and waiting, um, you have some time to think about, you know, death and what's going to happen. And um, I did. I did contemplate a little bit about death. Not a, a lot, but a little bit because I had to go through a lot of uh, my preparations and everything. And we had some dead time, no pun intended, to contemplate that. And then before I knew it, um, they said, Marines, stand down, okay, stand down. So we never went. We never went. And um, I stood down, and we, the Marines went back, and we went and did our uh, other things that we had to do. That was the closest thing I would ever come to um, to possible conflict. Um, and it was a little scary, but I, I don't... I don't think I really overly uh, contemplated death, even though I went through these, you know, things like, you know, a will and DNA and, you know, and ready to go out and, you know, with my combat gear, I really didn't contemplate as much as I do now. I contemplate death now more than, than any other um, time. And it, it's mainly because um, it really gives purpose and meaning. If you think about it, you know, it's funny because the Marines used to have a saying and this, it's a song that comes from, I think, Albert King. It's a, it's a rhythm and blues kind of a song. And, um, he's African American and he sings this song and part of the song says, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. Think about that. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. I remember, um, you know, maybe a year or two ago, I asked a bunch of tertiaries, and and, um, and possible tertiaries um, that uh, and these are you know diehard good Catholics you know they're you know trying to become a third order like myself and I asked them I said you know how many of you want to go to heaven and everyone raises their hand enthusiastically and and uh, all of a sudden then I asked them who wants to die right now and I think only one or two people out of twenty five of them raised their hand. So again, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. And yet that's the only way we can get to heaven is by dying. So you can see that even amongst good, faithful Catholics, we are kind of, you know, um, afraid of death. And yet, if you don't contemplate death, you know, you always have, I don't care how faithful you are, this fear of death. If you see some of the great saints, um, especially St. Francis, I really enjoy St. Francis, you'll see him with a skull, right? You'll see him holding a skull, praying over it, um, and that's because it's contemplating his mortality. And when you do that, you find purpose and meaning, okay? So the first thing, I, you know, so this today's podcast is about death. Why? Because... You know, this is the week of death. We're in the octave of um, uh, All Saints Day. And within that octave, you can uh, earn a plenary indulgence for um, the holy souls in purgatory every day by visiting a cemetery. Pope Francis has extended uh, the plenary indulgence through all of November this year because of COVID so that you can uh, earn a plenary indulgence if you visit a church and say, an Our Father and the Credo. So, you know, and, and, and all the usual plenary indulgence requirements, such as confession and, and um, you know, praying for the Pope, uh, Pope's intelli- intentions and everything. So, 
you know, um, it's it's a it's a time to remember. And if you're in the Northeast, you get that you know hint of death through the fall season where the leaves are kind of falling and the trees are getting barren and it's getting cold and windy. Um, and so it's the season of death, okay, right now. So we, we also had just uh, celebrated Halloween, um, even though it should be All Hallows Eve. Um, but we'll talk about that, you know, this, this fear of death and, and why uh, we have that. But, the, you know, one of the things that a lot of people say is, why is there death? Why did God bring about death? And, and I think the first thing we have to understand is God did not create death. He didn't bring death into the world. It was the fall of Adam and Eve that caused death. You know, when they sinned, death entered the world. You got to remember, God is perfect. And so when he made the world, it was perfect. There was no death. Adam and Eve were perfect. They were perfectly intelligent. They were perfectly, you know, they had preternatural gifts, such as, uh, you know, uh, they could not die. You know, they, they were, um, you know, there was no death in there. Uh, they were very intelligent. And then when they committed sin, all those gifts were, were dashed. They were thrown away. And we, as children of Adam and Eve, also inherit that um, that loss, that loss of you know the ability to live, um, you know, um, and not die, the ability of human intelligence. So that was all lost. Paradise was lost. In fact, God even emphasized life that He planted two trees in paradise: the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was only one tree out of everything that they could eat in this whole paradise that they could not eat. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think about that. Think about that. They were able to eat everything, even including the tree of life. They were able to eat from the tree of life, and yet they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree that they couldn't eat from. Think about that. Okay, Satan was so uh, wicked that he was able to uh, seduce Eve to do that. Okay, so think about that. So it was Adam and Eve that brought death into the world. Now you can say, well, why would why would he continue that then? Right? Why would he continue death? There must be some good uh, aspect of death that God wants us to have. Okay. And we will recognize that in the cross. The cross, Jesus, the God-man, dies, but he doesn't die, okay, and and say, and that's the end of the story, okay? It's not like all the other deaths that occurred of the great prophets, you know, like, you know, um, like Moses and and Isaiah and, and King David and all. All these great, you know, saints of the Old Testament, when they died, they died. That was it, right? But Jesus dies. But the true, you know, if you want to say the end of the story, okay, is not his death, but his resurrection. That death did not get the final answer to that. And so today we're going to talk about death and why is it so bad and evil in the world when it's really not? Because Christ's resurrection, okay, made death great, okay? It made us, allowed us to enter into heaven. Think about that. We are born into heaven, okay? Traditionally speaking, the day in which we celebrate a saint's uh, feast day, okay, is typically the day of their death. Why? Because we celebrate their birth into heaven, so death is not dead, but birth into heaven, okay? So that is the power of death, all right? That is the great power of death. So when we see um, this overreaction of COVID that's occurring, you really see a desperation of people who really, really don't know what death is all about, okay? Okay? You know, and so there's an overreaction in COVID. I'm not trying to belittle COVID, okay? Certainly we have to, 
you know, uh, take care and, and do what the government is asking us, washing our hands or whatever. But there is this, this idea that COVID is the end all or be all. You know, um, I remember uh, Father, uh, a, a priest friend of mine, he, um, he helps us run the day with Mary. He had a great talk one day. And he said, the church's responsibility is not safety, okay? It's not about, you know, safety is paramount. It's really job is the salvation of souls. So we have gotten paranoid over, um, a, you know, a disease. And to our shame, we've been neglecting, because of this, we've been neglecting a lot of people who legitimately are dying, like the old and the elderly. There's a lot who died who couldn't receive the sacraments, who couldn't receive prayers from people who would be next to them. And so, you know, it's a very, uh, that's probably more tragic than the death of the person from COVID itself, quite frankly, because we're talking about an eternal um, salvation. That's what we're talking about. So let's talk about the zoom out point that we're talking about right now. You know, I talk about, you know, the big picture versus the, the, um, you know, zooming in in picture, right? So, the, what what is the big picture about death? Well, you know, when we see people dying, it reminds us what we are here for. You know, death is to be contemplated to give real meaning to our life. You know, that is really, really uh, imperative. The Catholic Church gives us this wonderful season for us to contemplate death. We've got every year to contemplate everything else about life. But this one period we have to contemplate about death. You know, it's probably roughly around 10 days that we have, when it's all said and done, about 10 days to contemplate about death so that we can have a full meaning, you know, and preparation for our death because we are going to die. And yet, the big picture is the world and the devil will not want you to look at death and contemplate it. All right, it's the it's it's such the the world and the devil will make it so negative that you don't want to do that. You know, I have a close relative of mine. Um, you know, every time we, we he he hates going to funerals. Not that I enjoy going to funerals either, but it's like he does not want to contemplate death. Okay. But death is inevitable. We are all going to die. Okay? I mean, I hate to say that. It's, it's, we're all, as soon as we're born, the clock starts ticking and we're going to die. I just turned 50 years old this year. And even if I, you know, the average age of a man is typically about 75, 76 years old. I am two-thirds away from that. That means I, you know... Uh, I'm on the downhill, really a lot in the downhill, okay? If you're 36, okay, or 37, or let's say maybe 38, you're starting to go, you're over the hump. You're starting to go downhill. It's inevitable. I always tell people I'm terminal, right? Um, Because we all are terminal, some of us earlier than others, but we're all terminal, okay? So we the zoom out point is we have to contemplate death to get full meaning of our lives. And you will see what the world is doing, right? So what's the zoom in point, okay? The zoom in main point is that the world and the devil will try to do four things about death, okay? All right, the first is that they'll try to convince people there's nothing after death, okay? That that death is the end, the destruction of our soul, and that's it. Okay, um, yet we know that there is a continuum after we die, and that's heaven, purgatory, or hell. That's that's where you're going to land. Okay, you're either going to go directly to heaven, or you're going to go to heaven via the purgatory, or you're going to go to hell. Okay, so they're going to say, "Is there's no hell? There's no heaven? There's no you know purgatory?" All right, but there is. Okay, there is. The second thing that the world and the devil will probably focus uh, uh, focus about death is death is to be ignored. Okay, death is to be ignored. Um, you know, we do everything to avoid death. Okay, 
Um, and so what we do is uh, we try to create this full life. I want to live the fullest of my life, right? Um, and so we chase after a bucket list. We chase after, um, you know, these worldly things which have absolutely no purpose or meaning in life. They really don't. Even if you were to get married and have children, at the end of the day, why would you want to stick to being married? If you don't have a belief in a Christian belief in heaven, why stay married? Why even have children? Why? Because they make you happy? Well, I can tell you, my children don't make me happy all the time, okay? It's not like there's a fulfillment in having children, okay? But when you contemplate death, when you truly contemplate death, everything gives reason, okay? Everything gives purpose. Because when you contemplate death and you realize there is a heaven, there is a God, then everything falls into place. What you do, life doesn't become a bucket list. Life becomes a meaning and a purpose, okay? I remember seeing a bumper sign that said, you know, um, uh, the, uh, our life's goal for a man is to, is to acquire as many uh, toys as possible. And, he, and it was on a big truck, right? That's not our purpose in life, okay? And yet, if we contemplate death, we'll realize that we want to do more, okay? We want to do more for God and all here on earth. The third is death is morbid, okay? I don't know how many shows or movies you see and how realistic the morbidity of death has to be. You know, they're showing an autopsy of a dead person and they have to make it real as they're, you know, cutting something open or, or whatever. They only show the morbidity of it. You know, Halloween, the, the skeletons and everything else. Rather than looking at death is an entry into heaven. That death is the separation of the body, okay, that that basically um, the body in which is buried six feet under, okay, and we treat that body in a holy and sacred way. Why? Because the body is what expressed the interior life. So if the interior life was holy, okay, then that body expressed that in that holy manner. The interior life, if it wasn't, okay, if it was unholy, it expressed that in violence and hate, right? So the, the, there is death, but that death allows our bodies, which is sacred, to be buried and our uh, soul to enter into heaven. That's what death is all about. Our true entrance into heaven, okay? Four, the devil and the world would, would say death is caused by God. I don't know how many times so many people say death is caused by God. God caused this death, okay? Now, indirectly, God does cause the death because, because he's God and he can do anything. He can stop it from happening. But he is not the direct cause of death, okay? It's man and their sin, that caused death, okay? Man and the, the and um, sin that caused death. When Adam and Eve um, sinned, they brought uh, the um, nature had fallen. Not only did Adam and Eve fall, but nature also fell, causing diseases, natural disasters, and everything oddities uh, that occur in nature. And so that's what happened, you know? And then sin is also a great contributor of a lot of death. Look at what Hitler did. Look at what North Korea is doing. Look what all the accidents occur. All of these things occur because of sin. Sin is the cause. Now, God allows this death to occur. Why? That's the question that we have to ask, ask ourselves, you know? So, but God uses death for a greater good. That's the most important thing to understand is that God uses death for a greater good. And that greater good is our salvation as well as the resurrection. Okay? So, we're going to talk about this and we're going to we're going to go down and say what is the problem and how we're going to solve that, right?
So first of all, we're so inundated, you know, what are the problems, right? We're so inundated by the world and the devil about the morbidity of death, especially nowadays. We, we, I don't, I don't know how many people uh, really go to funerals or even wake services and understand death. I, you know, about a year or two ago, uh, I went to Sleepy Hollow, um, which is where the author wrote The Headless Horseman, right? And um, the woman there said, you know, in those days, because they were talking about the author and how there was a great celebration and how people were able to see his uh, view, his his casket, and it was at the house and everything. You know, back 100 years ago, a lot of people, when they died, the viewing was at the house. They weren't at a funeral home. They were at the house. So, And it was the responsibility of the family to prepare their uh, person for death. And there were a lot of times where they would literally, you know, take pictures of, of them um, with them in their death because they knew death was in some ways a celebration of their entry into heaven. But no one really thought about, you know, this morbidity of it, like, oh, this is disgusting. This is a dead person, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's really the, uh, the idea that death wasn't morbid. It was just another state in life. And that's basically what it is, okay? Um, so, you know, uh, the realizing that death does occur. You know, we, we when, when the families, you know, uh, would prepare their, their, peop- their loved ones for death, it really hit hard. It really hit them and made them realize that death is something that occurs naturally. It's part of the cycle of life. You know, um, Saint Therese wrote, you know, wrote about how when her mother was, uh, died and how they did the rosary and the whole family was around the casket and it was at the house, um, you know, and everything. So it's it's nothing to be afraid of, you know. Uh, it's it's not, we are not to make it so morbid, like some little kid that that you know looks at it from that standpoint. Um. The world wants you to make you feel that uh, you're invincible. I don't know how many times, you know, uh, it's uh, it's amazing. The Marines have a have an age limit. You know, uh, they don't. Uh, basically, you can't turn 29 on the date that you go to boot camp. You got to be under 20. You have to be under 29. And mainly, they do it for two reasons. One is that uh, it's an age in which they can really kind of mold you, right? Anything older than that, it's hard to mold, right? The second reason, though, is that you know, in the, especially the teenage years, the Marine Corps has the youngest is the youngest service. They have the youngest age there, and the reason why they like young kids is because they have an invincible mind. They don't think about death. Don't think and say, oh, I could die knowing this, right? Because when you're going to combat, you, the last thing that you want to think about is death, you know? So just like um, when I was on the A-team, my story, I really didn't contemplate that much on death. I did a little bit, yes, even though I went and got a, um, what is it, a, uh, uh, you know, DNA to, to record, you know, to identify my dead body, um, even though I uh, had to do a will, Okay, even though I was I was on the tarmac ready to go to to war if I needed to, I really didn't contemplate that much about death. I do remember one time, especially when I was enlisted Marine, I was 19 years old and we're in a, you know, we, a couple of Marines we were talking and one Marine says, "Hey, do you know we can actually die doing this?" And all of us looked at him and said, "Well, yeah." And and that was it. So this idea that we were invincible, that uh, we can we can uh, cure everything, and you know we focus on immortality. That's what the world wants to do. I was reading an article in, in uh, where a uh, the wealthy now are are trying to invest in cryogenics, where they freeze their dead bodies, so possibly in the future they can um, be woken up and be cured of whatever disease that they died of. That's you know, that's really weird compared to God is offering all eternity in heaven. Okay. The next thing is we blame God for death. Okay. I mean, you know, so many people blame God for death. Okay. And it wasn't God's fault. 
All right. We have to look at why God allows death. That's what we got to do. You know, so um, the other thing is live for Christ or live a full life. The world and the devil will want you to say, live a full life. They will. They'll say, live a full life. But where does it say in the gospel that we live a full life? Nowhere. Okay? Nowhere does it say, God, you know, that you know Jesus commands us to live a full life. And yet that's what we focus on. How many, you know, uh, um, what do you call it? Eulogies aren't there. He lived a full life. He lived this life, you know, to the fullest. And it's like, wow, you know, um, I've only gone to one funeral so far that the eulogy was about how holy this person was, how much he offered his his, his pain and suffering. He, he was suffering of cancer for many, many years. And, you know, but rarely is it that. It's all a full life. And he did a bucket list. He finished a bucket list. You know, like, really, okay? If I knew I was dying, I would not be worrying about a bucket list. I'd be worrying about, you know, have I done God's will? Am I reconciled with God? Do I love God? Because at the end of the day, when you die, he is the judge, okay? Now, he's a merciful and loving judge, uh, you know, but I have to prepare myself for that, okay? So, you know, the world will want you to think of the bucket list while you're dying, as opposed to, hey, have I done God's will? Am I reconciled with God? You know? And you can reconcile with God, in, you know, if you have committed many, many sins, okay? But we often do not uh, focus on that, okay? So, we we have to stop looking at it from a standpoint of do I you know uh, live a full life, but look at it from a standpoint is did I live for Christ? And right now is the time to do that. You know, a lot of times people tell me that you know you know God for, can forgive us, you know, no matter how many sins we've done and how sinful our life is, and that is absolutely true. I I, I totally believe that, but I have to put a caveat to that. Okay, and the caveat to that is, if you're perpetually sinning and perpetually in a state of sin, will you grasp for God? Because God, you have to ask to be reconciled with God. Okay, that is the step. But when you commit so much sin, and you're habitually, you know you know, throwing God out the door, okay? How can you say you can have a last-minute conversion? You, From a natural standpoint, that's impossible, okay? But from a supernatural standpoint, through prayers and fasting, when someone does that for a, a, a person, yes, that's possible. That's, that's definitely possible. But a person who who commits a lot of, you know, sins, typically will not have a lot of friends who will pray for them, you know. So you're creating your own uh, way of life that kind of puts you down this path that's really bad. So I'm not saying that you can't have a last-minute conversion, but it becomes very difficult. It really does when you create a life of sin. So we have to recognize Christ and convert at any time and, and keep that momentum of conversion and living for Christ. But even more importantly, do we pray for others who might be in a state of mortal sin and sacrifice for them? Our Lady of of, um, Fatima said that many, many, many are going to hell because there's no one to pray and do penance. Okay? She didn't just say to pray for them. She said, pray and do penance. Okay? Pray and do penance. You know, Our Lady of Lords, they said penance, penance, penance. Okay? So we have to do penance. It's not just it's not just about praying, oh, I'll pray for you, you know, that's all. Okay? It's about penance. Also, the gospel says the prayer of a holy man is effective. Okay? It doesn't say a prayer from anyone is effective. A prayer from a holy man is effective. So we have to grow in holiness. 
if our prayers are to be more effective, as well as we have, you know, we should do penance because Our Lady requests it because many are going to hell because um, there's no one to pray for them. So it's important that we do change. And the way God reminds us to keep following in his footsteps, following in his, his ways is through death, right? Reminding us to contemplate our death, that not only death is going to happen, but the second thing is we don't know when it's going to happen. We can die tomorrow. We can die right now. So that's the important thing to understand. And so death becomes that vehicle in which we contemplate the true purpose and meaning of our lives. Okay? So what should we contemplate about death? What should we definitely contemplate? Okay? So first of all, death allows us to detach. Okay? To detach. What does that mean? That means, as I mentioned before, what death is, is the separation of the soul and the body. Most of our attachments, our sinful attachments, come from the flesh, meaning it comes from our body, okay? Whether, uh, you know, they're the sins of the, you know, of lust or, or um, you know, you know, stealing or, or a covetousness, you know, you, you covet over something or, you know, you lie. It's all wrapped around the flesh. Our attachments to our food that we eat, attachments to, um, you know, our clothes and everything about us, the warmth that we have, the luxury that we have, everything is attachments. And so one of the things um, that as a tertiary we're, we're taught is to grow in holiness. Well, what does that mean? We have to first give up all our sins, mortal sins. That's really important. We have to try to give, you know, we have to work on our voluntary venial sins. And then we have to get rid of our attachments. That's the hardest part is getting rid of our attachments. And attachments aren't really evil per se, okay? Um, You know, they don't really call, you know, they could cause us to sin. But more importantly is it, it prevents us from becoming extremely holy, okay? And so the great saints worked on detaching from them, okay? Uh, detaching all of them. That, that's why, you know, religious, that's why they make a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience, because those things will help them detach from the world, okay? Um, and so by doing that, when they die and their body separates, okay, and their soul goes up there, their soul is not going to have an agony, of separation because it's already detached from all the goods that it's already here. As I tell people, I said, you know, I, I know there's a lot of talk about purgatory and as a purgation and all this other stuff, and you know, but I tell people, I said, you know, eventually you're going to have to detach. You know, either you're going to do it here on Earth, or you're going to do it in purgatory. You know. I know I this is just you know theology of David Cease. This is not you know anything written that I read, but I truly believe part of the purgatory and purgation is that is is the elimination of our attachments. Okay, it's it's those attachments, and so if we're attached to certain foods, if we're attached to certain things, um, it's going to be very painful in purgatory because we're going to have to get rid of them. You know, that's that's what is being purged out of us in purgatory. So, so learn to detach now. So death allows us to learn detachment, okay? It also teaches us how disappointing the earth, God, you know, the earth is and how great heaven is because this life has suffering. This life has joys too, but the joys don't last. You know, I can have a great steak. It's going to only last for what? 10 minutes? 5 minutes? As opposed to lasting for all eternity? You know? So we realize that eventually it's disappointing. You know, when we get sick, okay, we can't eat anything. We can't enjoy anything. Okay? So it death allows us to to realize, oh my goodness, this, this world is really disappointing. And you look forward to death and entrance into heaven. Okay? You know, death also allows us to yearn for heaven, okay? Uh, death also has a great experience here. You know, the greatest experience here is natural love. And, you know, 
when we enter heaven, we're going to experience supernatural love. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, uh, coined the phrase beatific vision. We're going to see God in his beatific vision. But the Franciscans emphasize the beatific love. Think about that. The beatific love. The beatific vision focuses on the intellect, but the beatific love focuses on the will. You know, um, so I think we need to really emphasize this supernatural, powerful, beatific love that we will be, you know, wrapped around in God. That's the Franciscan way, okay? All right? The Franciscans emphasize that beatific love, that we will be so attached to God because we will have such great love for, for God, and He will have so much great love, okay, for us, that it would be called the the uh, beatific love, the beautiful love, okay? So, death shows us that this natural love is going to, to die out, right? It's going to die. I love my wife. I love my children. But if nature takes its course, I will die before them, okay? But that doesn't mean, and so the natural love is going to die out. I won't be here to hold their hands to see how they grow up. You know, here on earth, that is. I'll see them, you know, God willing, in heaven. But that natural love by nature will dissolve, okay? And supernatural love will take over, okay? And that's the experience that we're going to get. There used to be this movie called, um, what is it called? Um, Jerry Maguire. It had uh, Tom Cruise in it. And at the end of the movie, it's about this person who falls in love and is like this love that goes up and down, up and down. And, um, and then eventually he truly falls in love. And at the end of the movie, he says, you complete me. And, and it's not like, you know, I hate to say this, but if a human being completes you, okay, that, that really isn't going to last that long. It's going to be very, it's, you're, you're, you're on sandy foundation, okay? Because first of all, you know, human beings will always make a mistake or, you know, have some kind of problem or sin, and you're not going to have a, um, a lasting relationship. But, but what will com- uh, complete you is that supernatural love from God. That's what completes you. And that's what we're yearning for when we go to heaven, the full completion of love in heaven, okay? So we have to understand that, you know, death is allowing us to see all of this. If we contemplate death, you'll see how disappointing the world really is, okay? There, I, you know, I love this song by Queen um, called, Who Wants to Live Forever, okay? Um it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice song by uh, Queen, and uh, it's one of the theme songs in a movie called The Highlander, okay? And The Highlander was about a group of these, I, I don't know what they were, but they were um, these people who could live forever, right? But they had to kill each other, right? They had to, they, you know, these people had to find each other and then eventually kill each other until there was only one left, all right? And the, the main character, um, the protagonist, is um, from Scotland, of course, the Highlander. That's why he's called the Highlander. And uh, the, the, um, the, the bad, uh, the antagonist is, is uh, this evil person, and at the end, they, they battle. But Queen sings this song, Who Wants to Live Forever? Because the Highlander, who can live forever, marries okay, a mortal being. And uh, he's warned that you shouldn't do this because... You're going to live forever, and she's going to die, okay? And so as the scene in the movie uh, you know, unfolds where he marries this woman, and the woman's getting older and older and older, eventually she dies of old age, you know, the background is Queen's song, Who Wants to Live Forever? And in that song, it says, Who wants to live forever when love must die, okay? And I thought that's so apropos. Because Queen is talking about this natural love again, right? Who wants to live forever when love, you know, natural love must die? And so even in this movie, you can see that the Highlander, okay, doesn't enjoy anything because it's dying. You know, things die, all right? You know, as, you know, it says in the Bible, you know, flowers you know, bloom in the morning, but wither in the evening. And that's what we are. We bloom in the evening, but we die. 
But why? Why? Why do we do that? Because we are meant for God. That's what we're meant for. You know, I love the COVID statistics, all right? Why? Because it reminds me we're all going to die, okay? I look at the statistics, I'm like, yeah, we're going to die. Let's move on, all right? And it reminds us of that death is going, is, is around the corner, and it really is. So let's contemplate it. Let's turn it into a good by contemplating what our purpose and meaning is, okay? Death is a gain to heaven. Death isn't tragic, it's a gain to heaven. When you find purpose and meaning in your life, you really realize and you will strive for heaven. All right? All right? Because at the end of the day, the realization is we are all going to die. Okay? Face it. We're all going to die. All right? There's no running away from it. There's no hiding from it. We're going to die. You know, we're all terminal. As soon as you were born, you, you know, you were born to die, okay? And face it, that's what it is. But that's a good thing because we enter into heaven through death, okay? I always say on my birthday, I always say this. I say, one year closer in seeing Jesus. Think about that. You know, it's one year closer seeing Jesus, all right? So let's say the average age for me is going to be 75, I only have 25 more years until I'm going to see Jesus. That's our destination. Okay? In the Liturgy of the Hours, I believe on the first week of Monday, it's go, it says, when will, my, when will it be the end of my pilgrimage? We're just pilgrims here on earth. You know? And that statement reminds us that when will my pilgrimage end? Okay? And so, when our pilgrimage ends, we enter into the homeland of Jesus and of heaven. That's our journey. That's where we're going. This is what you can do when you contemplate death. It's so beautiful, okay? It's the most beautiful thing in the world to know that death is not the end, but the birth of eternal life. That's what we're doing. Embrace death. If I, I was in, um, if you look at a lot of good Catholic countries, they celebrate uh, all Souls Day, okay, and, and actually, they, they from from All Saints Day, okay, on they celebrate. You know, you've got. I remember I went to Mexico and we uh, during this time period, and they were partying in cemeteries, literally barbecuing and everything. All right, um, I know. I was talking to a couple of uh, people from the Philippines. They do the same thing, and I believe the Poland does too. It's only our country that we've lost this idea of visiting cemeteries and seeing the value of death, okay? I'd like to read you the last, you know, um, St. Francis, you know, they, they love to quote St. Francis's, um, you know, song about, you know, uh, Mother Earth and Sister Moon and everything. Um, but you know what they always leave out on that, or not always, but sometimes they leave out, is the last phrase of his beautiful canticle, okay? And St. Francis' canticle at the end says, Praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Death, from whom no one living can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are they she finds doing your will. No second death can do them harm. Praise and bless my Lord and give him thanks and serve him with great humility. Okay? That is the ending of the Canticle of the Son by our Seraphic Father, St. Francis. It's beautiful. It's so apropos. Sister death, which no one can escape. And woe to those who die in mortal sin. And blessed are they, she finds doing God's will. Okay? So, that is so beautiful. Even nature, God gave us nature to tell us that we're, we're going to, to die. But death is not the ending. God gave us the four seasons. Now, I know certain parts of the world you don't have four seasons, but here in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, there are four seasons. 
And we're able to see the beauty of those four seasons. We're in fall right now where the leaves fall and the branches are barren and it's cold. And it's almost like death is here. But what happens after winter? Winter is like the apex of the death. The, the, you know, and, and so what happens is in the spring, it reminds us of the resurrection where life comes back to get again. And so, you know, that, and it's, um, it's divine providence that we celebrate Easter in the springtime. Okay. So it's beautiful how even the four seasons teach us about, you know, life and death and the resurrection. Okay. We talk about the liturgy, okay? Liturgically, we have Lent, we have Holy Trium about the death, we have birth, all right? And then we have the resurrection. So we have to understand that God is pointing to us these deaths, but the death is not the end. We also have the resurrection. We also have the beauty of the resurrection, that is what we hope in, and we hope in the resurrection and the salvation of our souls. So to um, wrap it up and to conclude, you know, early November is the liturgical season to com- contemplate death, beginning with All Saints Day and a Catholic tradition of visiting cemeteries within the octave of All Saints Day from November 1st to the 8th. Additionally, in the Northern Hemisphere, we have the bonus of the fall season turning cold and barren, reminding us of death. The death of COVID and the news giving us the statistics every day is God's way of reminding us that death will come. To help us to contemplate death so we can find true purpose and meaning in our lives. To truly live, great saints knew their purpose and lived to the fullest for God. Don't waste time in the useless living with no purpose. Know God, love God, live for God, so we can join Him forever in heaven. Let's end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we pray for all those souls, whether it be friends, family, benefactors, or those who we don't even know who have died, who are in purgatory. We pray for them. We pray that you release them or remit some pain that they're suffering in purgatory right now. As we pray, eternal rest grant them, O Lord, and let the perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to me, David Cease, at Practical Catholic. Feel free to share your reflection or leave a comment on the podcast, Instagram, and Facebook at Practical Catholic or visit my webpage at practicalcatholic1, that is the number one, dot com. You're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of Enroute Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom.